0: hello again everyone and welcome back to octopulse our detroit news detroit red wings podcast i'm mark faulkner detroit news assistant sports editor joined by ted colfin our red wings beat reporter coming up on the podcast we'll hear from 18 year old goalie trey augustine he's from south lion he won a gold medal at the world u18 championships in switzerland and he's expected to be one of the first goalies taken in the nhl draft in nashville in june but first ted The NHL draft lottery last night, the Chicago Blackhawks won the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. The Red Wings, no surprises with their lottery luck. They'll pick ninth overall. What did you make of the lottery last night, Ted? And then how about the Red Wings with their 5% chances of adding Bedard to the rebuild?
1: Like you said, Mark, I guess there really wasn't much of a shock. I mean, just given the percentages, Mm -hmm. it would have been quite the stroke of luck to get into the top three or whatnot. And we've seen how this organization doesn't have much luck at this, at this lottery, but yeah. How about the Blackhawks though? Boy, oh boy. One season of real misery and Mm -hmm. lo and behold, you get access to what sounds like he's going to be a generational talent. Yeah, I mean, you never know with these things because I kind of remember the hype around Alexis Lafreniere and that hasn't materialized at all. Mm-hmm. But I mean, everything you hear about this kid, he's going to be a heck of a player and boy, I mean, what a stroke of luck for the Blackhawks. I mean, you could build around this guy pretty quickly and you wonder as a Patrick Kane, come back there now. I mean, it doesn't sound like Taze. him and the organization and Taze mm-hmm. has kind of broken apart, but Maybe a Patrick Kane comes back maybe they sign a couple other key free agents and boy oh boy they, it may not ta- take them very long to get back into the playoff chase so I don't know quite a, and, you, and you understand the disappointment and frustration of organizations like Columbus or Anaheim and you know small market teams like that and boy <laughs> you don't want to say it's rigged it's not rigged but Boy, getting a big market team like Chicago getting access to a kid like Bernard Bedard that does uh, – it's got to be so painful for a team like Columbus that also has had very much bad luck in, in this lottery and could have used a guy like Bedard so badly. I don't know. You understand the, you undersee, understand the bitterness and disappointment around the league too.
0: Ted, you mentioned the misery of the Blackhawks season. Would that ever work here in Detroit? You know, last year before the season started, Chicago, they traded Alex to Brinkett and Kirby Doc. You mentioned Patrick Kane. He was the first overall pick in 2007. He went on to win three cups. Now, Chicago played hard under Luke Richardson. They did. They, knocked-
1: they really did, Mark. And I was talking about it with somebody last night or the other day. Sure. You give a lot of credit to, Maybe it is the hockey gods. I mean, the Blackhawks played well down the stretch. Remember, I think it was the Blackhawks who essentially knocked the Penguins out of the playoff chase. They knocked out the Penguins
0: and the Flames. That's
1: right. So, Yeah, you're right. The Calgary game. I remember watching that. So, you know, tell you what, Mark, maybe it's the hockey gods giving Chicago, you know, a chance there because they did have, they played hard under Luke Richardson and it wasn't not a good roster at all i mean it was a bone it was bones to the it was it was a brift roster it was just very almost like an american league roster at times yet they played hard yeah like we said they really foiled some teams playoff chances so maybe it was the hockey gods you know giving them their props i mean you gotta give them credit in that regard
0: you know, their leading scorer was ex-Red Wing, Andreas Athanasiou. He had only that tells 40, you
1: something right there.
0: Right there, 40 points. Now, when the Wings were bad in 2020, Ted, last overall, they had no Marit Sider that year. Their defensemen, this, these were their defensemen, Philip Aronic, Madison Bowie, Mike Green, Patrick Nemeth, Dennis Cholosky, Trevor Daly, Alex Bayega, and Dylan Larkin led the team with only terrible 53 roster. points. Just a
1: terrible roster. Now,
0: if the lottery rules had been different, so Detroit right now, they might have Tim Stutzel at center, followed up the middle with Larkin and Andrew Copp, three top centers. The Wings, of course, must be wondering why, why the bad luck. They've dropped eight times, eight spots since 2016. What are you thinking if you're the Red Wings? You're moving on and you're preparing for the draft, but what if, right, Ted? Sure.
1: I mean, it's kind of, it's just, you know, the rebuild The rebuild is still in its, I don't want to say it's infant. it's not, it's in its infancy, Jade. I think they took a big step this season, but it doesn't get any easier, that's for sure. I mean, it's going to, I mean, on, on the surface, next season, it's still going to be very difficult to get into the playoffs or into the playoff race even, and, you know, some of these prospects are coming along. Some aren't as coming along so as quickly as they probably expected. And all around them, you have teams like Buffalo and Ottawa who are really pro- look like they're progressing. The top of the division is still very strong. I mean, Steve Eiserman hinted at it in his press conference at the end of the season. I mean, it's, you know, the, you hope that, you just hope that some of these kids can develop a little bit more next season. And it's it's it, it, Sure would have been nice, I think, for them to have gotten one of those number one picks and get a, get, get a game changer. I mean, they've, they've done pretty well, Mark, they really have under the circumstances. Some of these kids they've got the last four or five years look like they're going to be really good players. But boy, just once maybe had they gotten that number one pick like a Jack Hughes or something mm-hmm. really could have been a game changer.
0: Let's hear from Iserman now from that season ending news conference, Ted, when he said truthfully, he expected more from some of his picks. I wish we had more of them coming. Um, uh, and ultimately, you know, try to have try to have a lot of draft picks. Uh, um, try to get a lot of prospects because some you think are going to really turn out for various reasons don't, and and you get surprised by others. So um, I'm optimistic with some of our guys, and truthfully, I was hoping for more from some of them. And it uh, doesn't mean they're written off or whatever. It's just, you know, it's. It's kind of, it's not always just linear that they go from the draft to you know good junior players, good college players, right to the NHL. There's some ups and downs, whether that's uh, uh, just in physical maturity or injuries, it takes time, but and and they don't all pan out the way you hope. Ted, you mentioned it just a moment ago. Were you surprised that Eisenman actually came out and talked about how he was a little bit disappointed? About some of the picks and just one player, for example, Robert Master Simone. He was one of three second round picks in 2019. Nobody after him has made the NHL. So, yes, it's really difficult to find players. He was at Shattuck St. Mary's. He played for the Chicago Steel with Owen Power, but he scored only 21 goals in three years at Boston University. He then went to Arizona State. He had 42 points last year, but now he's basically a free agent. And the Red Wings, that's one draft pick, for example. They've had many second round picks. They have three more second round picks this year. But really, Ted, doesn't that again highlight just how difficult it is to find these gems, especially when Steve Eisenman has said he expects really, realistically, to get only two players per draft?
1: Well, I remember Kenny Holland always, his the rule of thumb was if you get one player contributing from each draft. Wow. Wow. You've done well. And then when you think about it, when you look over, when you pour over all the drafts, Mark, I mean, one is you're doing really well when you're doing, you get one player from each draft. It is such an inexact, difficult process, science. It really is. I mean, you're talking about what 17, 18 year old kids who, you know, you you, you think they're going to project a certain way, but. Goodness gracious. I mean, it is a crapshoot. It really is. And, you know, you just do the best you can. But, I, like I said, I think they've done as well as you could under the circumstances. I mean, even the Lafreniere draft. I mean, getting dropping to fourth after that abysmal season. And mm-hmm. still getting Lucas Raymond, who, you know, I think most people would prefer Lucas Raymond over Alexis Lafreniere sure. at this point so they did they did well there but then again on the flip side just to show how inexact and difficult it is picking what philip sedina over quinn hughes i mean that's that's a tough one right there so i mean you just go with go with your gut do the best homework you can and Pick who you think is going to turn out the best for your organization.
0: Time now for the interview segment on the podcast. And our guest today is Trey Augustine. Joining us now is Trey Augustine, an 18-year-old goaltender from South Lyon, a national champion with a Honeybait U-15s three years ago, a Michigan State hockey player who will join Adam Nightingale's team this year, a graduate of USA Hockey's national team development program, and now a world champion in the U18 Championships, which just wrapped up in Switzerland last week. Trey, welcome to the podcast, and let's start with what it's been like since winning the gold medal in Switzerland. You were at Camerica Park yesterday afternoon before Justin Verlander pitched against the Tigers, part of a pregame ceremony with your teammates. What was that like, Trey, and how's the week been like for you?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's been awesome getting back on, Home still here and just seeing all of our supporters and family and friends that Mm -hmm. haven't seen in almost a month or two now. So I mean just being able to get back home and see their excitement. I mean, it's still kind of surreal and setting in, but no, it's been great to get back home.
0: And Trey, what did you learn about your third chance at winning a world title? The first two world championships. You were the underage goalie. Last year in Germany, your U eighteen team, team lost to Sweden six four in the final. This year in Halifax, your U twenty team lost to Canada six two in the semifinals. But last week in Switzerland, your U eighteen team beat Sweden three two in overtime in the final. Three tournaments, all different circumstances, of course, different players. But how did those two losses, Trey, prepare you for this final?
2: there's nothing like playing those international tournaments. I mean, just getting the experience and knowing like how tough it is and how long and how hard the schedule is. I mean, mm-hmm. it can only help you. And then obviously this year with this team, I was at my age level. So just kind of took a bigger leadership role upon myself and obviously it worked out for us.
0: Trey in that final against Sweden. You trailed 2-0 after two periods before tying the game in the third. And then Ryan Leonard scored that winning goal in overtime. Ryan was on our podcast earlier this year, along with his linemates Will Smith and Gabe Perot. They finished 1-2-3 in scoring at the Worlds. 1-2-3 in scoring with your U 18 team in Plymouth. All three are projected to go in the first round of the NHL draft this year. All three will play for Boston College next year. Why have they been so successful, Trey? And what's it been like facing Smith, Leonard, and Perot in practice these last couple of years?
2: Yeah, I mean, they're all some really special players. And, I mean, it's really helped me out to be able to see them and practice almost every single day this year. It just mm-hmm. helps me get better. And then, obviously, they're a huge part of our team. And I think the big thing that makes them different is just their chemistry is on another level. I mean, it always just seems like they know exactly where they're going to be. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it just a big part of how they play.
0: Ray, I talked to your USA hockey goalie coach, Dave Lassonde, about the gold medal game. And we focused on the final 20 seconds of the third period. The game was tied 2-2. Sweden was on the power play. And their captain, Otto Stenberg, number 23, he was wide open on a cross ice pass over on the right wing face-off circle. He had at least half the net. He took a one-timer with 18 seconds left. And Lassonde said, you read the play, Got over there, made the save, and he calls those moments winning time. And then with two seconds left from the slot, Felix unger Sorum number 18, on his knees, a one-timer, and you made the save there as well. What do you remember, Trey, about those two saves? And what does winning time mean to you now?
2: Me and Coach Hassan have been talking about winning time my whole career at the NTP. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just those kind of game-defining moments that – you don't know we're ever going to come, but when they do, you just have to be ready for it. I mean, I have just only watched the replay of that play a couple times. But I mean, in the moment, I kind of knew that Stenberg was wind up for a, a one-timer over there. and Okay. I obviously, just got a good pushover, just trying to make myself as big as possible. And then even that last play you mentioned, it just kind of, little scrum out in front and I just saw the puck kind of pop out to the side there and just another good pushover and just keeping myself compact in a position to make the save.
0: You know, Trey, I also talked to your longtime goalie coach, A.J. Walchek. He's been with you since you were eight years old. And I asked him last night, how do goalies make those saves like yours on the one-timer from Stenberg? He was fourth in overall scoring, 16 points in seven games, right behind Smith, Perot, and Leonard. And then like you said, the save on Unger's Sorum, he was 13th in scoring in the tournament with 10 points in seven games. Last night, for example, Sergei Bobrovsky, one of the goalies you said that you have learned things from, one of your favorite goalies. He faced more than a dozen high-quality shots from the slot. AJ and Dave said the key to making those saves, Trey, is reading the play you pushed off. You mentioned that repetition. They mentioned using your skating skills, getting in and out of your spots. Taking away the lower part of the net, slowing down the game. How much of that is skill, will, luck?
2: I just think the big part of it is just repetition. I mean, you skate so much and you practice so intense, and you just kind of have to let your instincts take over in the big moments like that. I mean, like you said, I've been here with AJ for almost eight years now, so I'm mean, just going back to seven a.m. skates when you really didn't want to go out there and do it but just kind of powering through I mean it all just kind of comes back to you.
0: Trey. why did you want to play goal? AJ can remember you and your mom at Southfield Ice Arena maybe when you were about 11 years old and at that time he said hey you could maybe make something out of this certainly get an education you're going to Michigan State. Why goalie Trey and what were those early years like?
2: Yeah I mean they're a lot of fun I mean I just kind of my first ever team which had to like rotate goalies through our, through our lineup. And <laughs> I just kind of, I always volunteered to do it. I mean, I just kind of fell in love with position. I just enjoyed kind of being back there and just being, always being on the ice and always could have an effect on the game. So, I mean, that just kind of brought me towards position. I mean, I just always loved it.
0: Mm-hmm. Trey, your USA hockey bio says you're a Detroit Red Wings fan growing up in South Lion. Did your family get to many games at Joe Lewis Arena or Little Caesars? What goalies did you watch? You were born in 2005. Detroit's last Stanley Cup title was 2008. Why the Red
2: Wings? Yeah, I mean, obviously, growing up in South Lion, it's always kind of just been the Red Wings for me. I mean, I've lived about 45 minutes from the Joe and Little Caesars Arena. And I mean, I remember going back to games at the Joe. I mean, that place was historic and had so many championship teams in the past. So mm-hmm. I mean, I love going there and watching games there, but obviously now Little Caesars is just, just an incredible arena with the architecture and just how it's built. But and like you said, just the kind of goalies I watched from the Red Rings growing up were like Jimmy Howard and Peter Morazic. Mm-hmm. Those were kind of the two that when I was kind of at the age where I first started playing hockey, those were kind of their two guys. So
0: you know, Trey, AJ also credits a lot of NHL goalies for helping you develop your game. He mentioned Scott Wedgwood of the Dallas Stars, Alex Nedeljkovic of the Red Wings, even Kyle Kaiser, who is in the Bruins minor league system. He said you've been able to learn from them and ask questions like, well, what were you thinking on that play? So how have those goaltenders influenced your game? And do you have plans, Trey, to help other young goalies who could use a little encouragement
2: yeah, I mean, those three guys have been great and kind of pushing my career forward and just kind of understanding just kind of what they've been through in their careers and the ups mm-hmm. and downs of it. And obviously just kind of powering through and just sticking to their plan and the process of just trying to get better at each and every single day. But I mean, just because of how much they've helped me, it's definitely made me realize that when I get to that point in my career, I'm definitely going to have to give some of my knowledge back to the Good. goalies that are coming up
0: three years ago trey you were part of that u15 honeybake season we mentioned that off the top it was a year after covid right after the graduations of a really stacked team with players like max nemesnikov and frank nazar what was it like winning a national title and what were some of the highlights
2: yeah i mean obviously that team before us was really special really talented i mean Mm-hmm. they didn't get an opportunity to even play in Nationals due to COVID. So, I mean, the big thing for us was just kind of doing it for them and just doing it because they deserved it. I mean, they on paper were a much more talented team than us <laughs> with their players and stuff, but they just didn't get that opportunity to. So, I mean, just kind of pushing forward for them and they obviously supported us through the whole thing. So it was good to just kind of, done for them and then our coach coach deskins he hadn't won a national championship yet so we also wanted to do it for him
0: dave Lason remembers trey talking to you after a game with honey baked he was with kevin Ryder, the ntdp director of player personnel dave listened to your responses after that game and while they were walking out of the building he said what he heard in the depth of your answers. Reminded him of Spencer Knight, who he coached with the 2019-2020 World Juniors. He said some of the keys to a goalie-goalie coach relationship is building trust, give and take, finding balance in your life as well. And I'm wondering, what do you find important with these goalie-goalie coach relationships?
2: Yeah, like you said, I think trust is a huge one. I mean, Mm -hmm. just kind of trusting them that they're doing what's best for you and them trusting you that you're. You put yourself in a position every day to make the most of the opportunities that you're given. I mean, me and Coach Son have a great relationship now. It's been built for almost two and a half, three years. So I mean Mm -hmm. it's meant the world to me to be able to work with him every day and just kind of learn from him and his experiences.
0: You know, Trey, Dave said on his two years of coaching you, not once when he's gone over film with you, those three-minute clips or whatever, have you ever pointed the finger at someone else? No excuses. No alibis, he said, that you hold yourself accountable and you honestly evaluate your play. Dan Muse called you a student of the game. Are you a better student when you don't care about the publicity, the fanfare, or the stats and who gets credit? Why is that so important to you? And where did you learn some of those attributes?
2: Yeah, I mean, just kind of growing up with my household, it's always been just putting the team above yourself. and. By doing that, just kind of making sure that you're always doing what's best for your development, but also making sure that the guys on your team are taken care of and Mm -hmm. you're doing everything you can to support them. So, I mean, just even obviously stuff happens in a hockey game that I might not always be able to control, but at the end of the day, if I did something differently, you never know what the alternative outcome of that play could have been.
0: Trey, having said that stats aren't that important, there are a few numbers I want to run by you from this year's season. You had 30 wins, one loss, eight wins against NCAA teams. Those 30 wins ranks fourth all-time. Your goals against average ranked fourth overall, 2.13. And your save percentage, 925 ranked second overall. And by Dave's stats, you had only five games, he said, where your save percentage was below 900. What's a good save percentage nowadays? Does it matter? And what stats are you most proud of, if any?
2: Yeah, I mean the stat I'm most proud of out of that one's definitely my wins. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a team game and at the end of the day, if you don't win the last game of the season, you're not happy. So I mean, that's definitely the most important one for me. And then obviously now like looking back on those stats, it's pretty cool. But at the end of the day I think I could still improve upon those stats and by just kind of analyzing Every play, every sequence, and obviously just still trying to get better.
0: Trey, I asked Day two about the trend to bigger goalies. Jake Ottinger is six five. Akira Schmidt is six five in Detroit. Vili Huso is six three. Magnus Helberg is six six. You're listed at six one. Some scouts mention your lack of height. Day says he knows some goalies who are six four who play like they're five ten. He says they don't keep their shoulders up. Their hands aren't where they need to be they play deep in their net he says you play big in size isn't a factor what do you think about this trend sergey Bobrovsky is 6-2 you mentioned other goalies that you do follow frederick anderson is 6-4 uc saros is five eleven. when scouts ask you about being 6-1 in this modern nhl game what do you tell them about how you've been able to stop the puck
2: yeah i mean i think a big part of that's being able to have great skating i mean that kind of Put yourself up in position to take away space from these talented shooters nowadays. So that's a huge one. And then obviously like Coach Hassan said, just not dropping your shoulders or dropping your gloves. I mean, you see all the time you in these playoffs where goalies are getting beat up top still, and they mm-hmm. are six, four, six, five. I mean, it's a tough position, but I mean, I don't truly think that size has an effect on that.
0: Trey, how would you then describe your goaltending style? I've heard you said that you try and be athletic, a butterfly style. Anything else you'd like to add?
2: Yeah, it's like for myself, classify myself as an athletic competitive goalie. I mean, I think those are kind of the two most key things, especially compete. I mean, if you're not doing everything you physically can to try and stop the puck, I mean, there's just going to be some plays that you, you can't do anything about, but I mean, if you're always giving that 110% and doing everything you possibly can, I mean, I think it will end up good for you.
0: Trey. Thanks so far for your time on the podcast. Just a couple of more questions. What about the NHL draft in Nashville? You're among the top three ranked North American goalies rated by central scouting. There's also Brandon goalie, Carson Yarnison and Omaha goalie, Michael Rabel. Are you going to Nashville and what are your expectations?
2: Yeah, I'll be going to the draft. I mean, I'm just hoping that my name gets called to a team that wants me. I mean, at the end of the day, you can't control or you get picked. And I think the big thing is just there's still a long path ahead once, if you do hear your name get called. So just kind of keeping level head and just kind of keep progressing and still just trying to get better each and every single day.
0: Trey, what's the rest of your summer like? And what are you looking forward to when you join Adam Nightingale in East Lansing this year?
2: Yeah. So I'm taking a couple weeks off the ice and, away from the gym right now, I was just trying to let my body get some rest to recover. But I'll begin back in the gym shortly and getting prepared for the NHL combine and then after, a couple of weeks after that I'll be going up to Michigan State, take a, a class or two and just kinda get accumulated to life up there. And then mm-hmm. obviously I'm just really looking forward to getting back and getting the opportunity to play for Coach Thangale again. I mean, he was a great coach for me last year. I think I'm just really excited to kind of get back to work with them.
0: And Trey, we always ask all of our draft eligible players, what if they got drafted by the Red Wings? Detroit has three second round picks. You're projected to go in the second or third round. What are your thoughts? Any team, of course, would be great if you were taken uh, in the second or third round, perhaps. What if the Red Wings selected you?
2: Yeah, I'm sure my parents and my family would love it. I mean, <laughs> be able to stay close to home. But I mean, like you said, I don't, I just hope to hear my name be called by any team. But, I mean, if Detroit called my name it would be really special, it would mean a lot to me.
0: Ray, thanks for your time today on the podcast, talking to us about your world gold medal at the U18s, your hockey background, some of the keys to playing goal, and how Dave and AJ and other NHL goalies have helped prepare you for your next step in the game. All the best in the summer at the Combine and into the NHL draft.
2: Thank you. really appreciate it.
0: Our thanks again to Trey Augustine. You can find his story online right now at DetroitNews.com. Now let's hear from Red Wings coach Derek Lalonde and Tampa Bay Lightning coach John Cooper. Lalonde was in a bit of a controversy on TV. He was a guest analyst, and he revealed in the playoffs in the first round that Andre Vasilevsky struggled so much on screenshots that they changed defensive coverage. Cooper said Lalonde's story wasn't actually Actual, here's what they said. One thing actually we did a study
2: back in the day. He was uh, one of the lower percentage bullies in finding pucks from the points. We actually changed our entire team, so, and we've been put our spot. Listen, he's uh SportsNet is paying him well to go uh um give an opinion. So we've got to make something up about that kind of stuff he does. It's uh um like I said, we're but we're playing, so we can't watch what's going on uh, uh in the games and and listen, he's there because he was assistant coach on this team. so he's trying to offer insight and trying to give fans something. and so um he should be doing that. It's um, just going to make sure it's accurate. what he's saying?
0: Ted, what did you make of what Lalonde said on TV? much ado about nothing probably or did Lalan cross a bit of a line? Lalonde has been a refreshing voice. Of course, he's passionate and knowledgeable, but what did you think about what you saw on TV? And then John Cooper's response, he was sort of caught in a situation where there was probably an element of truth to it, but I don't think he really wanted to add fuel to the fire.
1: No, I totally agree. I think it, it was somewhat overblown Mark. I mean, most everybody, I mean, these teams nowadays, it's so sophisticated. People know that, Mm -hmm. If Vasilevsky does struggle with screenshots from a distance or whatnot, goodness gracious, everybody knows that with all the video nowadays, I mean, these things are so cut to the most minuscule plays and nuances on the ice. I mean, people realize that. I mean, did he give away too much of the farm with some of that? Uh, Maybe a little bit, a Mm -hmm. touch, I mean. Sure. Sure saying something about, what was it? I remember watching that clip live. Uh who's saying they made some analytics or had some statistics or whatnot. Uh, I don't know, maybe going a little too far. But then again, I mean, I think nowadays teams know everything about every other player and every opponent on the ice. So somewhat overblown. But I agree with you, Mark. You did do a nice job on that Hockey Night in sure. Canada channel. Yep. I was impressed. That was, I, I don't know, I'm just... I had some, some sort of reservations, just I wasn't sure how comfortable he'd be on set, but I think he did a really good job on that set and it was nice insight in, in that series.
0: And finally, Ted, what about the playoffs? The first round, 50 games, the road team won 31 times, three game sevens, upsets, the Bruins and the Avalanche were knocked out. You picked the Leafs, Stars and Oilers. They advanced in the first round. In the second round, you've got Carolina, Edmonton and Dallas and Toronto. What have you made of the playoffs this year, Ted?
1: Well, as my son is quick to point out, no, nobody should ever follow my picks, I guess.
2: That's for <laughs> sure.
1: I mean, Eddie, for, I'll, I'll pass it to you first, Mark. Eddie, what are your first impressions I mean, so far of all these playoffs? Just chaotic, I guess, comes to mind.
0: Ted, it's been a wild ride. A crazy playoff series. The upsets. A team like Florida, they're just one win away from advancing to the conference final and then the red wings draft pick there if florida moves on it would increase from the 18th pick to the 17th so the red wings clearly would like to see the least knocked out there for sure
1: mark do you like all the upsets i go back and forth and all this it's like why are we playing essentially 82 games every year if some of these Powerhouse teams over eighty-two games, which you give give them credit for. I mean, that's fantastic. Like Boston, goodness gracious, it was a it was an insane season. I mean, it mm-hmm. was. And then you know, for whatever reason, okay, bully for Florida. They had a good ten days or whatnot. But I don't know. What are we playing these eighty-two games for then? I mean, I don't know, there's something to be said for that. I think
0: you're right, Ted. Of all the professional sports, they more uh,
1: upsets in hockey it seems like than anywhere.
0: Right. And once you get down to the top 16 teams, aside from Boston this year, they had like a 43 point advantage over Florida, but things can change so quickly. You put Patrice Bergeron in the last game of the year. So he can play in Montreal in front of his hometown fans and his mm-hmm. father who is ill. And then he gets a herniated disc. And then when he does come back the last three games, he's minus six. And it's just so like, what were the odds of your captain, your best player not being able to play, and then not healthy at all. Things change so quickly.
1: So is it a good thing that, the let's say Florida is, what, maybe the 15th or 16th seeded team in this? Is it good for, a good look for the league that the 15th or 16th seeded team might win your league championship?
0: Well, the Los Angeles Kings have done that. They've gotten in as the eighth seed or as the final seed and have gone on to win the Stanley Cup. It's a good question, Ted. It's sort of a free-for-all, isn't it?
1: It's just, I don't know, I, sometimes I wonder if it's such a good look. I mean, what are we doing for nine months if the 16th team comes in and has a good month or two in the tournament and wins the Stanley Cup? I don't know. I know, I know a lot of people love enjoy the upsets, like the upsets. I don't know. I like this, those teams like Boston, Colorado, Toronto, I guess, up to this point. They've had, they've had such great seasons. I don't know. Just it seems like it's a strange look for the NHL when your favorites get bounced out like that so early. But it's been a heck of a playoffs. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Florida's playing very well right now. I, heck, I'd I'd be how would be willing to wager they could go all the way the way they're playing now. Carolina, obviously, New Jersey. That still seems like it's could be a fairly long series. Been very impressed with Seattle. I didn't think Seattle would be able to give the problems they're giving Dallas. I thought Dallas would be, Mm -hmm. you know, Dallas would be one of the tougher teams in this thing. That Vegas Edmonton series, boy, oh boy, Mark, that's just going back (laughs) and forth. Uh, Incredibly impressed by Leon Dreisettle. I don't know how you cannot be. I mean, what a force he's been in this playoff tournament. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, It has, like we said earlier, chaotic, I think pretty much (laughs) describes these playoffs this spring.
0: And that'll do it for episode 90 of our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. You can find all of Ted's stories online at DetroitNews.com, as well as on our Octopulse Facebook page. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you soon about more Red Wings hockey. (laughs)